Good morning. Hope everybody is doing well. It is good to have the Vances back with us, Chris and Missy and Ethan and, and Emily too. But no, it's good to, good to have everybody back. I'm glad Chris and Missy are feeling well. Ethan, we're glad you're back home. So, yeah, that's what I heard. Good. Good. All right. Uh, what's that? Yes. A couple other announcements as we go. Um, we do have a congregational meeting immediately following our service today to approve the budget and to elect treasurer and assistant treasurer. So if you're a member, please make sure you stay for that. It'll take a very short amount of time. If you're not a member, we invite you to stay as well and just kind of see how we do business. It's it's open for all, but um, it is important that if you're a member of this church that you be here for this today. Um, we do have... Uh, Service at the Ronsevert Food Pantry this Friday and Saturday. Friday is from 3 to 5. Uh, Saturday is from 7.30 to 10. I'm pretty sure I have Saturday mostly covered, but if we have a, a couple people that can help out on Friday afternoon, that would be great, and a couple backups for Saturday morning. Uh, in this time of COVID-19, you know, people may not be able to show up, so it would be good to have a couple backups as well. So, Please let me know today if you can serve and which of those times. Um, also, I, I know I put Bible study in the bulletin this week for 5 o'clock, but there's a, there's a parade this afternoon. Gary's uh, Peanuts Memorial is this afternoon, so we will not have a Bible study tonight. Um, are there any other announcements? I do have one other before we go, but are there any other announcements before that one? All right, if not, uh, two weeks in a row we get to do this, which is really, really odd. But it is our tradition that if your birthday falls on a Sunday, you get sung to. So Gregory's birthday is today. Um, uh, he hit that quarter century mark today. So, um, yeah, so we get to sing to him. call to worship today is uh, following our Advent theme of working kind of backwards through the Christmas story for people who were waiting, who were expecting something. We look today at Simeon's story. And Simeon was there in the temple when Jesus was presented on the eighth day, and we hear his story from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for Simeon and for his message of salvation that he proclaimed, that salvation that he had waited for for years as he waited in the temple courts for the arrival of your Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are here today in a sense of anticipation, in a sense of waiting as well, as we are awaiting the return of that Messiah. And we gather here today to be reminded 
of his work in our life and to be reminded that all of our lives are to be lives of worship. And we look forward to that time when we gather in your presence with people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, to worship you into all eternity for the grace that you have showered upon your people. And so remind us, Lord, that you are here with us today. For those of us who are in anguish, use your presence to give us peace, a peace that you promised. For those of us who are here a little bit too comfortable in our lives, remind us through your presence that you convict and that you call us to move closer to you in repentance. But no matter how we are here, remind us that you are present and remind us of the comfort that that gives. Remind us that you are here to hear our singing, that you are here to hear as we proclaim and profess what is true, and that you are here to receive our prayers. And so we pray to you as you taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Just as the Israelites prayed this prayer, we pray it now. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Please take that hymn, the hymn book in your hand and turn to hymn number 151. Allow the weight of this world to drive you to that prayer. Allow the weight and the difficulty of this world to expect the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let us stand and sing hymn 151. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Please be seated. Jesus came to save sinners, and Jesus, through his apostle John, reminded us that we are to come before God to confess. So let us take some time now, let's take a few moments to silently confess before God our sins and our shortcomings.
In Sunday school today, we were studying the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, and the first few verses of Isaiah 2, as God lays out His case against the nation of Israel, for which He will bring judgment upon them. And, And in verse 18, He says this, He says, Come now, let us reason together. And that word, let us reason together, is a courtroom word. It is a word that means, let me lay my case before you and let it be arbitrated for judgment. And then God says this, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What a great promise that we have that when we do come to him and confess, he makes our sin white as snow and white as wool. Our New Testament reading today comes from the book of James. A book that many people call the Proverbs of the New Testament. Very practical, wisdom-oriented book. But our reading today comes from James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Hear these words. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. God, through his Holy Spirit, has redeemed us. Through the work of Christ, has reconciled us to him. And because of that, we are able to pursue holiness with our tongue, as well as we are called to worship him with gratitude. And so that is what we contemplate now. As we listen to the offertory, contemplate how you may worship God through the givings of the tithes and offerings, not as a means to buy salvation, but as a means of giving thanks because of our salvation.
great God and Father, we do thank you for all that you have given to us. Many of those things we take for granted. But this is an opportunity to be reminded of all that you have provided from our salvation down to the the sip of water that we had earlier today. All come from your hand. And this opportunity to worship you by returning a portion of the goods that you have given to us, a portion of the time and the talents that you have given to us is a reminder to worship you for all that you have given. So please take and use what is given to you. Use it for your glory, for your honor, and as you see fit. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please take your hymn book once again and turn to hymn number 160. It came upon a midnight clear. I mean, the reality is we don't know what time it happened, but we do know that in the darkness of our world, in the midnight of our world, God sent his light. So let us remain standing and sing hymn number 160. It came upon the midnight clear. Please be seated. The truth of Christmas is not just the truth of the incarnation, but the truth of the entirety of creation, of fall, of redemption, and ultimately of restoration. We proclaim that truth in the Apostles' Creed. 
So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heavens and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we go to the Lord in prayer, just a couple of updates. Once again, we do thank God for his faithfulness to the Vances, as Chris and Missy are back with us, and Ethan is back as well. Also, we have prayed before for Natalie Wade, um, a friend of Emily's. She was diagnosed with cancer, had surgery early this year, please con- or actually last month. So please continue to pray for her, for her recovery, and for the next step in her treatments. Please continue to remember Mandy Vance in your prayers. Um, Cohen Bramley, the Farlow family, um, Roy Dodd and his family. John Morgan went for a follow-up on Thursday from his difficulty um, uh, last month. Um, Jason Dodd, Roy and Shelby's son, had the coronavirus as well, and he's doing much better also. Continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for Mary Anna and her family. Are there any updates or prayer requests? And the Pearsons are under the weather today, so please be praying for them also that it's just something normal. Matt had surgery on his back this week in Morgantown. Good. How's uh, your son-in-law doing, uh, Rick? He's doing all right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this privilege that we call prayer. And we thank you that you hear and that you answer. We, we sometimes take that for granted. We, we think of the things that we lift to you in prayer. We think of the things that we cry out to you for, those, those weary loads that cause us to sit down on the side of the road as we just sang. And, and we forget that you hear and that you answer. Sometimes you answer as the hymn said. You answer with us being able to hear through the word the angels singing the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being born into this world. What a great reminder that we are thankful of, that we have your word, your scriptures that have recorded for us your acts of creation, your acts of providence, your acts of choosing a people for yourself, a people that would be a blessing to the nations, that blessing arriving in the form of a babe in Bethlehem to carry the sin of the world to the cross so that you might pour out your judgment upon him and so that he might then be raised again on the third day, being proven worthy of his work and thereby securing our justification as well. We thank you that he ascended into heaven and is seated at your right hand where we know that human flesh redeemed, glorified human flesh can dwell in your presence as we will do forever. We anxiously await that day where he returns and we are fully glorified, fully reconciled to you. Uh, Not that we are lacking in our reconciliation, but we are lacking in that final glorification where we will stand before you forever in your presence, worshiping, glorifying, and and rejoicing in the depths of our salvation. We thank you for prayer requests that you answer in ways that we see your glory as we see friends and family members healed. So we thank you that Chris and Missy are back with us. We thank you that Jason Dodd is doing better. And we thank you for those other instances of healing that you have given, whether they came through ordinary means or whether you worked miracles in the lives of people to bring them to 
a place of healing, to bring them to a place of physical restoration. We thank you as well that Ethan's time of training uh, is over and that he is back and reunited and that you sustained him through that time, many times sustaining him through cards and letters from your people. And so we thank you for being with him during that time and we thank you for bringing him back to us safely and to his family as well. We do lift up before you today these prayer requests, knowing that you will hear, knowing that you answer, because you have heard and answered in the past. I pray for our church. I pray for Fairly Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church and the members and friends of this church. And I ask that you continue to sustain us in truth. Show us the freedom that is ours through that truth. Show us how to uh, minister to our community better. Show us where you are working so we can come alongside you and, and engage in that work that you are already doing, a work that you are preparing for us, that you have prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. Lord, I lift up our elders and I ask that you would continue to sustain them and their families, draw them closer to you, continue to protect them. Even when they get sick, continue to protect them and continue to sustain them in their fear and their love for you and grow them closer to you. I pray the same for our deacons and ask that you continue to lift them up and strengthen them and give them wisdom for the ministry to the body of the church, for their ministry to our physical facilities and for their ministry of outreach to the community as they seek means by which they can be a blessing to those who are hurting in our community. I pray for our women's ministry and that you will continue to lead uh, wisely in their Bible studies, that you continue to lead wisely in their own ministries of outreach, both within and without the church. And I pray that you would raise up a vibrant, spirit-filled men's ministry in this church as well that was, it will supplement the work of the pulpit, much as the women's ministry supplements the work of the proclamation of the word. I pray that you would raise up, raise that up within our midst, within this church. We lift up the work that you were doing around the world, specifically Nathan in Charlottesville, and we ask that you continue to bless his work, continue to bring people to hear the message of gospel res- restoration there in Charlottesville. Continue to financially sustain his ministry as you have been doing over this last year, even in the midst of a pandemic, and continue to strengthen Nathan and his family as they do your work there in Charlottesville and raise up good men to be elders as they consider um, organization, no longer as a church plant, but as a an organized church of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville. We pray for Mitchell as well, and we thank you for the, the grace and the mercy that you have shown to him and to his family throughout the years, and we pray for his strengthening and his sustenance as he is continuing uh, pursuing his role as an army chaplain. And Lord, for the men and women who will come under his ministry, we do pray that you would soften their hearts to the gospel, that you would use Mitchell to bring light into the darkness of, uh, of a war, a world that is oftentimes torn by war. And Lord, as we think of our men and women in the military, specifically the army, we ask that you bring Use Mitchell to bring light into the darkness of their world at times. And we pray for his wife and for his family. Protect that child that they are expecting and, and um, remind them of your goodness during this Christmas time. Lord, we pray for our shut-ins. We think of Rosalie and Tommy, of Mike, of Jim, of Mariana. And we ask that you meet each of them with your presence right now as some of them are going through uh, the difficulty of a new a place to live. Some of them are going through uh, the loneliness of this Christmas season. Some of them are going through grief uh, of losing loved ones, um, dealing with health issues, Lord, whatever it may be. Meet each of them with your presence during this time. Lord, we lift up to you those that we love who are sick and who are ailing. We think of Mandy and ask that you continue to strengthen her, remind her that you walk along beside her through the difficulties of her treatments and ask that you um, 
restore her and sustain her through this difficult walk. We pray for Matt and ask for recovery from his back surgery and ask that you would um, walk with him through that recovery and recuperation and lift him up. Um, We do continue to lift prayers for Natalie, for her healing, for her, her treatments. We lift up her family as well and ask that you be with them and strengthen them as they seek to minister to her. And Lord, I pray today that you would fill this place with your spirit. As we turn toward your word, we are reminded that you are a triune God, and our salvation and our sanctification is worked through the cooperation of the Trinity in our lives. And so, Lord, we lift your name up. We seek to honor and praise you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know that our choosing and the plan of salvation was set in place by the Father, that our salvation was worked out and accomplished by the Son and applied to us by the Holy Spirit who walks with us through the process of sanctification. And we know that you work in your word for that process. And so, Lord, fill this place with your spirit so that we might see your glories, not just having eyes that do not see, but truly see your glories as they shine the light upon our lives and open our ears so that we might listen to the words that you have and might be changed by that word as we move forward into the preaching and the teaching of the word. Lord, we lift all of our prayers to you today. We pray to God the Father in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please turn with me to the book of Proverbs, uh, to Proverbs chapter 17. Um, We will begin today in verse 16 of Proverbs 17. I was asked a few questions after last week. Um, One set of those questions I hope to address again and muddy the waters even more later on in the sermon. Um, But uh, the other set of questions I kind of want to address right now. Yes, I'm a pessimist and yes, I'm okay. Um, I do truly love Christmas. I do truly find hope in the gospel message of the incarnation. And I am self-aware of my pessimism enough to make jokes about it. So, um, yes, I'm a pessimist, but I'm okay. So please be assured that all is well. So we are in Proverbs chapter 17 today, beginning in verse 16, and we will read through the end of the chapter, verse 28. Hear the word of the Lord. Of what use is money in the hands of a fool, since he has no desire to get wisdom? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man lacking in judgment strikes hands and pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. He who loves a quarrel loves sin, and he who builds a high gate invites destruction. A man of perverse heart does not prosper, He whose tongue is deceitful falls into trouble. To have a fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A wicked man accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the course of justice. A discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. A foolish son brings grief to his father, and bitterness to the one who bore him. It is not good to punish an innocent man or to flog officials for their integrity. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Let us pray. O God above, I pray once again that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you give us the riches of your word. Please fill us with the assurance of understanding. Please knit us together as a people in love. And most of all, give us the knowledge of Jesus. Show us the treasures of understanding and wisdom that are found only in him. And as we study, keep us from being deluded by plausible sounding arguments that deny your truth and your wisdom. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, don't give them any money. They'll only waste it on frivolous things. 
Now, some of us, probably all of us, have said that or thought that at, at one point or another in our life when we are confronted with helping another person. And you know, there are times that there is wisdom in that word, but today we're going to look at the flip side of that is that Solomon's overarching message today is in the pursuit of wisdom, don't give the fool money. Now, verse 16 opens with a reminder that the fool will waste money. He says, of what use is a money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? And the the picture here is that if you could buy wisdom and you can't, we know from our study of Proverbs so far that wisdom is rooted first and foremost in the fear of the Lord, that worshipful, obedient reverence that we give to God when we come to faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the root. That is the foundation of wisdom. But outside of that, wisdom comes through learning the teaching and the law, through seeking to understand the teaching and the law, and through applying that teaching and that law to our lives, sometimes failing and figuring out that we got it wrong, so we need to do it differently next time. But it's a, it's a lifelong process that we go through. But if wisdom could be purchased... Solomon's saying it would be a waste of time to give the fool any money because he or she has no desire to learn wisdom in their life. The reason for that is found a little bit later in the passage. Um, uh, where did it go? It's still there, I'm pretty sure. But it talks about the, 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 the wise man having his eye. It always keeps wisdom right in front of him. And the fool is, is distracted by the things of this world and, and is so distracted by the things of this world that he has no desire to even look for wisdom. But the picture that Solomon gives us here is not merely wasted money. It's not just money that you don't give to the fool because he is going to waste it on things other than wisdom. There are a lot of other things within our world that God has given to us to teach us wisdom that the fool will waste as well. God's love is expressed to the world through common grace. That doctrine we see in Matthew 5, 45, where Jesus says that the sun shines on both the just and the unjust, that the rain falls on both the righteous and the unrighteous. There are a lot of good things in this world that are given to humanity in God's own common grace, in God's love. God doesn't reserve medical treatment and medical advancements for his people only. All of humanity gets to take advantage of medicines and technology. It's not only God's people that get cars and who get cell phones and get the the advantages of technology. All of the world benefits from technology. It's not only the, the unsaved that suffer difficulty and strife in this life. It's God's people as well, which is the flip side of God's common grace, which is still called common grace. But God in His love gives us things by which to get wisdom. And we've covered them over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to cover them again today as we summarize the things that God gives. These three things, parental relationships, friendships, and the society around us. Each of these things show and lead us to wisdom. And Solomon talks in today's passage how grief comes to each of those three areas. Parental grief, friendship grief, and societal grief because the fool rejects them, turns his back on them, and pursues folly. And as we look at these three areas of grief, my hope is that we will see that since God has given us such great resources, we should all pursue wisdom. First, the grief of the parents. God places us in families. And Solomon today focuses on the grief of the parents as the parents watch the fools. We see in verse 21 that to have a fool for a son brings grief to the parents, there is no joy for the father of the fool. That, that first, that grief there in verse 21 is a grief that is a heaviness of heart that lacks joy. 
We drop down to verse 25 and we see that a foolish son brings grief to his father. And that grief there is actually an intensification on the grief earlier. It is a it is a word that is grown to include an anger that comes from being provoked by the foolish child. It's not just a heaviness. It's not just a sorrow that uh, brings with it a lack of joy, a lack of rejoicing. It's it's actually an anger that is beginning to well up within the father because the the foolish child is provoking him. And then for the mother, a bitterness to the one who bore him. And that bitterness is this heaviness, this lack of joy that has grown into anger and to grief and has now grown into a depth of despair and regret that is brought on by the actions of another. As we take these verses together, we see that this grief belongs both to father and the mother of the fool. It's not just that the father is heavy and without joy and angry at provocation, and it's only the mother who is in the pits of despair, but father and mother together suffer under the weight of their children's folly. And it should not be that way. There should be a cheer and a rejoicing that comes from having wise children. The cheerful heart that brings healing to the body. But instead they get the dryness that comes from the crushed spirit of having an unwise child. And we know the parents are more than likely wise because they know enough to be to have despair over their children being foolish. We, we know from them being wise that they would have done the work that Solomon has done in Proverbs to teach the law, to give the instruction so that they would have wise children. And yet they are crushed by the folly of their children. We can think of David from 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 18 as he dealt with his son Absalom. Absalom's name literally means father's peace. And if you know the story of Absalom, he brought anything but peace to his father. Now, some of this does get laid at, at David's feet. David messed up in not disciplining uh, Absalom, not punishing Absalom when he should have for the murder of his brother. But we do know, or we can at least surmise, that since David taught Solomon the wisdom that we have here, that he would have likely taught it to Absalom as well. But Absalom did not follow in those ways, and it brought David great grief. Absalom ends up murdering his brother. He leads an almost successful rebellion against David that David should have seen because he was doing it right there under his nose in Jerusalem. And David grieved when Absalom died. Now, as I said before, we need to admit that some of David's grief came from what was most likely an idolatrous view of Absalom. I think David probably put a great hope in the nation of Israel on Absalom's shoulders. But at the same time, that grief was there because in light of all the teaching that David had given to Absalom, he still led a life of folly. Children, if you're here today or listening today, if God has blessed you with parents who care enough to teach you about salvation, to have you in church, to teach you how to live a life in a way that is in line with God's law and with God's wisdom, you first need to thank God that He showed you love enough to teach you those things. Secondly, you need to follow their teaching and to seek to walk in godly wisdom. If you're an older child in this room, and by older child I mean my age or older, you need to thank your parents if they were ones who brought you up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And I know some of you were not brought up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And for your children that are here, they need to be thankful that you have seen the folly of your parents' ways and have sought to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And children, you need to thank God for that treasure. Don't throw it away because you don't want wisdom. Pray and ask that God would open your mind and your heart to the truths that you need to be wise and to be reconciled to Him. And for you parents who did raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, I praise you as well. But I also know something. That we live life under the sun. And that the words of Proverbs are most of the time descriptive rather than prescriptive. They describe what would work in a perfect world. 
rather than prescribe what should work. If you do A, then B will happen. And what this means is that some of you have sought to raise your children, your child, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And and unfortunately, some of them will become Absaloms who turn their back and walk in the ways of folly. I have two things for you. First, and I know this is difficult, but don't idolize your children. In our society today, we have way too much of a propensity to put all of our hope in our children, very much like David probably did with Absalom. But your success, your standing before God, your standing in society, your level of wisdom is not dependent upon how well your children do, how godly your children are. If we have idolized our children, the grief will turn into a, an ungodly despair. And rather than finding our salvation in Jesus, when we place our hope of worth and identity in our children, we will be crushed when they fall. And at some point in their life, even the best of children will fall. Find your worth and identity in God rather than in your children. And related to that, the second thing I have for you is to rest in God's sovereignty. In Proverbs 16.4, we saw that while man makes plans, God orders those plans and how they come out. Rest in the fact that God in His sovereignty has placed your children exactly where they are even if that's unbelief, even if that is folly. David had plans for Absalom, and they didn't work out according to his plan. But they worked out according to God's plan. You know who else's name is based in the word peace? Solomon, the man whose teachings we are studying today. David had plans for Absalom, but God had plans for Solomon. And Solomon, for at least part of his reign, brought some of the peace that David was likely hoping for to the nation of Israel. While David's plans likely centered around Absalom's, God's plans centered around Solomon. If your children abandon wisdom and the gospel and pursue folly, know that God is sovereign over that. He can bring them back. If your children pursue wisdom and salvation in Jesus, know that God is sovereign over that as well. Honestly, while we do the teaching, it is God that brings the harvest. So take rest and comfort in God's sovereignty over your children as well. Foolish children bring grief to the parents. The fool also brings grief to his friends. The next tool that God uses to help teach wisdom is friends. Solomon talks about friends in verses 17 through 19. He says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A man lacking in judgment strikes hands in a pledge, and he puts up security for his neighbor. He who loves a quarrel loves sin. He who builds a high gate invites destruction. Think back to David's story once again and his relationship with Jonathan this time from 1 Samuel. They loved, and the love went deeper than the love for a wife. Now, this is not some justification for a sexual orientation that is against God's will. This is a a, a picture of what Solomon is talking about here is that a a true friend loves at all times. We, We in our society are on the brink of losing friendship because we have almost equated love with sex. And so we, we, we don't enter into friendships because we're afraid that if we have a love friendship with somebody that it's going to muddle and mess things up. And that is a horrible thing to happen to a society, excuse me, because God teaches wisdom through friendships. The fool loves as well, but he loves to fight and he loves to brag. Verse 19 says that the fool loves quarreling, and in quarreling he loves to sin. The person who takes offense at every little thing, who is always picking a fight, is likely a person who loves sin and is a person that does not make a good friend. If you have friends, if you are friends with this person, you likely have a life of grief. And it leads to destruction. The man who loves sin will be destroyed. The picture there of the high gate is a military picture. In the ancient Near East, archaeologists have found doorways, gateways into courtyards and homes that are so short that, that you know, even a normal-sized person, not somebody tall like me, but even a normal-sized person has to stoop over. And the reason for that is if you were in a time of war, most likely some of your attackers would be on horseback. 
And if your gate is high enough, they can just ride right into your courtyard on a horse ready for battle or for war. But if you want to protect your stuff, you make a doorway small enough that they actually have to get off and kind of stoop to come into the house so that you can be ready and be ready to attack. In their pride, in their loving of quarreling, it will lead them to destruction. And sometimes that can cause us grief as well. They will also find destruction in the unprotected whimsy of the financial realm. In verse 18, it says a man lacking in judgment strikes his hand in pledge. And this goes back to what we looked at in chapter 6 and a couple other times in these intervening chapters between 6 and here, the idea of surety. It's the idea of co-signing for a sketchy loan. Um, It's the idea of seeing somebody who has put themselves either in a bad investment situation or or is just really bad with using money, and, and you, you go ahead and you give them money anyway. Why would you do that? For a sense of control? For a sense of importance? Because, look, I helped so-and-so. But if you co-sign for a sketchy loan, if you know you're co-signing for a sketchy loan and you co-sign for it anyway, what's typically going to happen to you? You're going to be responsible for that sketchy loan, especially when the person that signed for it, that you co-signed for, bails out on you. And so what we see is that friends will lead to, will, there will be grief within friendships as um, the fool messes up those friendships. Now, if you have friends that God has brought into your life to teach you wisdom, once again, be grateful for them and cherish them. Examine your life and make sure that you are pursuing the wisdom that they bring to you and work toward being the kind of friend who teaches wisdom. Young people, I speak to you once again. You are making friends now that will shape your life for the rest of your life. Be wise in the friends that you choose. Give your parents input into the friends that you choose. Help them. Let them help you make wise choices for your friends. Bad friends can lead you to bad places. But beware of the argumentative, beware of the flashy, beware of the hyper-popular friends who leave a wake of destruction behind them. And then for the parents and the older people, evaluate your friends as well. Evaluate how you interact with your friends. And if you find yourself in a position to be a friend who speaks wisdom, Solomon gives us instruction for that as well. Verse 27 and 28 tells us to be restrained in our speech. If you have to confront a friend who is moving towards folly, don't give them all the information at once. Be restrained. Deal with the problem at hand. And when that is resolved, move on to some more teaching if necessary. Be even-tempered. Oh, it is so tempting when you are in a friendship with one of those friends who is just kind of hot-headed and is just getting on your nerves. It's to be hot-headed with them. But when Solomon says in verse 27 that a a man of understanding is even-tempered, that is literally, he has a cool spirit. Not cool, you know, like the Fonz from Happy Days. But a a cold, a a spirit that's not heated by anger. Kids, ask your parents about Happy Days. Or your grandparents. Don't be a hothead. Take time to cool down and deal evenly with the situation. And finally, be a woman of few words. Make your point and be silent. Solomon is arguing from from lesser to greater here when he says, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. In chapter 13 of Job, his friends have come. They they sat for a glorious chapter. Chapter 2, for a handful of verses, they sat with him and just were quiet and grieved with him. And then in chapter 3, they started talking. And by the time they get to verse thir- or chapter 13, Job is like, shut up, you are making things worse. It's a paraphrase. He says, be silent. I wish that you would be silent and bring me comfort. Because all they were telling him was how wicked he was and how much he deserved everything he got. That's not how to confront a fool. That's not how to confront somebody who is suffering. Be a person of few words. Be even-tempered. And seek to bring the gospel into the life of the fool. 
So the gospel brings, or the gospel, and the gospel brings joy. The fool brings grief to his parents and grief to his friends. And ultimately, he brings grief to his society or to his community. And we see this once again through the abuse of the law. The abuse of the law is, is, is focused on by through the giving of the bride to pervert or bribe to pervert the court of justice. And then in verse 26, it is not good to punish an innocent man or to flog officials for their integrity. Last week, as we spoke about this, I put this in the realm of justice, specifically social justice. You understand that since we live in a fallen world, there are things in our societies, there are things in our communities that are wrong. Okay, we can we all we can all agree with that. There are bad applications of the law based upon economic uh, situations, based upon ethnic situations, sometimes based upon national situations. We've we've talked about the the Serbian Croat. Uh, uh, difficulty back in the 80s and 90s and how they were they were both Western European Caucasian groups of people that sought to destroy each other over religion and other things. So there are bad applications of the law within our world. I think within our country, some of the bad applications of the law uh, cut across economic and racial lines. I was reading a story about Ethan Crouch in 2013, Couch, not Crouch, Couch. Ethan Couch in 2013 at the age of 16 was highly inebriated as well as under the influence of several illegal drugs. Alcohol and drugs are not a good mix. He went for a drive, ended up killing four people. His defense was that his parents were really rich They sheltered him, never taught him what right from wrong was, and so he should not be incarcerated. He got 10 years probation, broke probation two years later, fled to Mexico, and spent two years in prison. If you or I did something like that, without the resources that he had, where would we be today? We'd be in prison. The flip side of that is we do have the application of law in our society, especially around what is typically nonviolent offenses. And I'm not talking about who commits the crimes. I'm talking about how punishment is adjudicated. But there is statistical evidence that a certain ethnic population in our country gets tougher sentences than other ethnic populations within our country for the same crime. This is not right. This is not a just application of the law. Our response right now as a society is not to move forward by justly applying the law to where the punishment fits the crime, regardless of your economic status or your racial status, but to flip. And I think we see this in the area of reparations. And this is where I'm probably really going to step on toes this week. It is unjust to take a several generations of people who are not guilty of a crime against humanity, who had no interaction with that particular crime, and make them give money for something that happened 150 years ago. Now, is there still injustice that we need to work on in our culture? Absolutely. But is the way to work on that injustice to flip the injustice and thereby taking the people who are oppressed and giving them permission to oppress the oppressors? That's self-destructive. And that brings grief to communities. And I think we see that. And I think we are blind as a culture to the fact that we are bringing our own grief to our own culture. And it's not just reparations. That's a big one. I, you know, if they, if they do pass reparations, it won't come directly out of my pocket. The government will just print the money, which will then inflate prices, which then makes it come out of everybody's pocket, not just mine. But there are other things within our culture that are injustice because of bad application of law. And you don't fix bad application of law by pursuing more bad application of law. 
Does that make sense? It brings grief to a community. And what it does is it reminds us of what I talked about last week, is that there will be an application of God's law to every single human being. And we will all be found wanting. We will all have fallen short. And regardless of your economic status, you are not going to be able to convince God that you suffer from what Ethan Couch was said to suffer from, which is affluenza, which is a smashing together of affluence and influenza. God's not going to take that. And you will not be able to tell God that you were justified in your bad application of the law because somebody else applied the law to you badly. God's not going to take that either. The only thing that God is going to take when you stand before him and he said, you have broken my law and it is just for me to send you to hell. The only thing that you can present to God as a valid defense against the judgment you are already guilty is Jesus. Is the reality that the judgment that is fair to fall upon you because you have broken his law fell upon him. And if you can truly embrace that message. You can find the hope this Advent season, the Christmas season, January season, February season, March season, all the seasons of the year. You can find hope in the midst of injustice because you know that justice has been and will be done. And you can fight injustice with the gospel knowing that God sees justice and will work it for every human being. All the wrongs will be made right. All the wrongs will be judged either on the cross or in hell. But if we pursue within our culture justified injustice, if we justify misapplying the law to one sector of society because for years and for generations, they misapplied the law to another sector of society. All you do is destroy society and, and cause grief. The gospel is truly the only hope, brothers and sisters. God's given us many gifts to teach us wisdom. He's given us parents. He's given us friends. And he's given us a society governed by law. Don't waste those gifts. Keep your eye on the prize of wisdom. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for your justice and for your law. I ask that you help us to wade into our culture wisely, but not forgetting the tools of wisdom that you have given us, our parents, the church, friends, the scriptures and prayer and the sacraments. Lord, help us to deal wisely with each of those. Help us to be, be people who live wisely and bring cheer to those relationships rather than grief. Help us avoid folly and help us to speak your truth into folly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes once again from the hymn book. Hymn number 167, Gentle Mary Laid Her Child. As we consider the incarnation, we consider the glory of the second person of the Trinity taking on flesh and coming to earth as a babe. It should be astounding. It should remind us of the justice that God has worked through his grace. So let us stand and sing Gentle Mary Laid Her Child, hymn number 167.
As we go this week, it is important for us to remember that God is at work in our lives and in our community and our cultures. And so take this blessing upon you. The love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We pray with the saints who have come before and who will come after. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.